This is FaithCast, weekly messages from Victory Faith in Spokane, Washington. To stay connected with Victory Faith, visit victoryfaith.org where you can submit prayer requests and praise reports, sign up to receive weekly email updates, give online, and much, much more. Consider joining us for our live stream online Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at victoryfaith.org slash live. Now, on to the message. So good. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be with you. Seriously. I wish that I could, um, uh, that you could see me look into each of your faces and tell you how much I love you and appreciate you that we're in this together. And um, I, I wish that we had time, all of us, to have coffee together and, and um, tell our miracle stories, which I know there are many uh, in this room. And so uh, just such a great joy to, to do this this morning. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, thank you, Lord. I'm so happy also that I get to be here with you during this 21-day fast to kick off the new year. And I do believe that the timing of that is significant um, because I love preaching to hungry people. Any hungry people out there this morning? Come on. It's true that you are hungry because you are fasting, right? But it's this holy dissatisfaction that makes you crave for all of God. And at the very least, for more of him. You will not be dissatisfied. You will not be disappointed. You will not be denied. As the psalmist says, victory faith, God always fills the hungry with good things. This is your season. So I say crave on. Crave for the things of God. Continue to hunger long after the fast is over. Be ravenous for the things of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. I see this church taking higher ground in the Spirit. I see a bunch of radicals willing to take the risks and move into the fullness of what the Lord has for the region, but even as a signpost for nations. Victory Faith, you are going to give direction to the end-time church. And not just going to point the way, but you're called to lead the way. That's an important distinction. Go that way. Go that way. A lot easier to say, go that way, than go that way and come on, follow me. You, you guys are called to be those that lead the way and others will follow. I believe our life in God is supposed to be an adventure. With such a, a, a small amount of time, I wish that I could tell stories about my own life uh, to you, but we'll have to do that over coffee, like I said. But just in, in short, um, my, life, my life is truly a miracle, and um, I'm 42 years old, and I live in the north of Spokane on a private road called Goose Chase Lane. We had the privilege about eight years ago to follow the Lord on a great adventure. Along with our best friends and their families, we embarked on a journey of radical obedience that included building homes, raising our children, and living life in cl- close proximity with a few of our closest companions of the heart. 
Our collective heart has been to be a community of worship, prayer, discipleship, and also mission. We want to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. We named our private street after the wild goose chase that the Lord had invited us on. You see, the Christian Celts in the third century, they referred to the Holy Spirit as the wild goose. They gave the name to the Holy Spirit because like the wild goose, the Spirit of God cannot be tracked or tamed. He is mysterious in nature, and there is an element of danger and an air of unpredictability that surrounds him. What better way to speak of the true sons of God who are led by the Spirit than to say they are on a wild goose chase. A risky adventure full of twists and turns, but finds its fulfillment in the perfect will of the Father. The Celts believed the Holy Spirit was leading them on wild goose chases to unknown regions to preach the gospel. Why? Because they agreed with Jesus' prayer and longed to see more of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. One of their famous slogans was the cell and the coracle. The cell represented their life of prayer alone with God and where they spent much of their time worshiping in community. The coracle was a small, round, keelless boat with a flat bottom made from wood covered in skins or canvas and waterproofed with tar. While it was expected that all members have a rich life of worship and prayer, it was also expected that all would be heavily involved in the mission to evangelize Ireland, Britain, and Europe. In their desire to follow the wild goose, they would bravely get into a coracle with three others and push off from the shore, praying a prayer like this. Lord of the wind and the waves, take us, your servants, to where you will. Then trusting themselves to the sovereign God and his desire to redeem all peoples, they would allow the wind and waves to take them to distant shores to preach the gospel. There's so many lessons that we can learn from our early Celtic brothers and sisters. Life in God is meant to be an adventure. Basically, they would allow, they would throw caution to the wind and declare, fear has no hold of me. I am a child of Almighty God, and I'm going to act like it. In that little boat, on that big sea, there were no insurance plans, no risk mitigation protocols, or safe harbor clauses, literally. Just open water and the wind of the Spirit to take them where he would. Wow, simple, childlike trust. That story has inspired us to model our lives after those radical followers of Jesus. Mark Twain said it pretty good when he said, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, Sail away from safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover. But a journey like this with God requires something of us. We must have faith. We must be unafraid. We must be of good courage. 
I believe that the body of Messiah around the globe could really use a word of encouragement right about now. Victory Faith, I want to bring a word of encouragement to you this morning. To encourage literally means to inspire courage. Somehow words of encouragement in the church have turned into words of comfort. Don't get me wrong, there is a time for both. We need comfort, but comfort is definitely not encouragement. It's a different ministry for a different time. I want you, the church of 2022, to be inspired to live courageously. Why? Because we have been called to a life of great adventure. Our mission is to reach the whole earth with the gospel. Excuse me. My parents called me Nehemiah, but sometimes I think they should have called me Jeremiah because I I weep like the prophet Jeremiah. And Nehemiah was the one who said, don't weep, don't cry. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But because we've been called to this life of great adventure, our mission is to reach the earth, the whole earth with the gospel, to see heaven come and completely overtake the earth, to see God's will and desires being done instead of our own. Courage is needed when things get scary and when we are threatened with the spirit of fear. Fear and intimidation threaten the good news message from getting out. Fear tries to keep us inside when we're called to go outside. It makes us retreat instead of advance. It paralyzes us and stops us in our tracks. Speaking about the last days, Luke 21, 26 says, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. This end-time heart failure is both physical and spiritual. The enemy of your soul would love for your heart to stop working because of what is coming on the earth. Remember, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love to cripple you with fear and keep you from your part in the master plan of God. The devil would love to take away your courage. Having courage and taking heart are synonyms in Scripture. Courage is the ability to disregard fear. Courage is bravery. My desire is to preach about faith and courage and completely disregard, cast it aside, ignore fear. I know that we can't simply command ourselves to feel less fear, but we can overwhelm our fear with something bigger and better. A grand adventure. Perfect love casts out all fear. You can be so overwhelmed by the love of God that fear has no place in you. If you busy yourself by radically loving God and wholeheartedly loving your neighbor, you will be so engaged with clothing the naked, visiting the the prisoner, caring for the sick, welcoming the stranger, and feeding the hungry that you will have no time for fear. Crowd out your fears with the perfect love of God. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying it won't stand in your way as you live out his great adventure. 
What you will see and do in this journey will be so much greater than the paralyzing threat of danger that you simply can't resist. You are compelled to put one foot in front of the other and go, go, go. Fear is a liar, a demonic spirit that is constantly trying to get me to believe I can't do something, can't be something, can't go somewhere. And for one, I will not allow it to rob me of my true destiny in God. If you are afraid this morning, let me just say, God's got something better for your life. There's a higher way. You were made for so much more. And the Father wants so badly to give you so much more. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We must cast aside our fear and live according to our heavenly design. The Father can't wait for us to have all of the kingdom. In other words, you must be true to how your Creator made you. Living from the inside out. God made your inward parts, and every time you are true to his design, you are strengthened in your inner man. Inner strength or security on the inside comes from living out your God-given destiny. We are more susceptible to fear when we are on the outside of the plan of God. That is why it is said that the safest place to be is the perfect will of God. Boldness comes by doing the will of God. And living out his desires is a major confidence booster. You want some confidence? Go do what God tells you to do. It will build confidence in you every single time. Think back in your own life. Every time you stepped out in faith and God met you, those are the stories you tell your kids. Those are the events that are worth repeating. You felt like you could take on the world. Why? Because faith rose up inside you and doubt and fear had to leave. You overcame. Faith is built every time we ignore the discomfort of not knowing the end from the beginning and simply follow Jesus anyway. Again, Faith is not knowing the end from the beginning, but it is trusting the one who does. Faithfulness is a life of sustained obedience that disregards the fear of failure and the possibility of great loss. Faith is never willing to give up the divine chase. Faith knows that great risks lead to great rewards. Faith is fighting to win. Are you fighting to win or are you fighting not to lose? Two very different things. Those who fight to win run toward the enemy, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. Picture David running toward Goliath, twirling his sling. I love that image, just running. He's unafraid. Those who fight to win play offensively. But those who fight not to lose wait for the enemy to come to them. They are defensive and pray for others to fight their battles. Men and women of faith look for opportunities to face down their giants. With their God, they look for walls to scale and troops to run against. 
I love that. <laughs> These faith heroes know that every obstacle is an opportunity for their God to get more glory and fame. How dare you, uncircumcised Philistine. This is the Lord's army. If you're going to be afraid of something, how about we institute a new FOMO? Fear of missing opportunities. How about that? Because I think many in our churches have been more fearful about making mistakes than we have been about missing the God opportunities. When did our spiritual disciplines become more about our perfection than our obedience? That hurts because it's real. Remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. If we are more interested in Christian perfectionism, our fear of messing up will always outweigh our fear of the Lord. And we will never be willing to step onto the water. Let me say that again. If we are more interested in Christian perfectionism, our fear of messing up will always outweigh our fear of the Lord. And we will never be willing to step onto the water. Do we come to Jesus when he calls or do we stay in the boat knowing there's too much that could go wrong out there? God is looking for more faith heroes more heroes in the faith. Man, I grew up reading the stories of great men and women of old. Not only did I read their stories, I watched them live. There were those that said, like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. God is looking for more Davids and Jonathans in the church. Why was Jonathan so attracted to David? What was that special ingredient that made David the way he was? I believe he was attracted to his courage. I love this scene in, in 1 Samuel. It says, as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Oh, I, can, I know who I am. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Why? I need some more men like you in my household. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Saul is asking, where did this guy come from? He's of a different spirit. David has the head of the giant in his hand. Jonathan sees the confidence, the courage, the overcoming spirit, a man who is unafraid. Jonathan sees himself in David. I have found another champion, someone with the same spirit. I've been looking for you, David. They tie the knot 
They make covenant together. Their souls are knit. Their, their very way of being is energized by the other. Let's fight the Lord's battles together. I may be reading into this, but I find it interesting that David doesn't take the armor from Saul before the fight, but he takes the armor from Jonathan after the fight. Saul's armor was not compatible for him. Saul had a different spirit, and David rejected his armor. He does not reject Jonathan's armor. They are compatible. One size fits all. It works because they are of the same spirit. He that is in them both is the same God. Yeah. Side note, when I first met Pastor Trevor, it felt a little bit like this, this passage. I was attracted to his warrior spirit. He was preaching uh, at a tribal gathering that we had, and he was preaching on covenant. And he was telling the group about the kings of old that they went onto the battlefields with scars on their arms. Before the battle, they would hold up their forearms to their enemies. Each scar on their arm represented the blood covenants that had been made with other kings and warlords. The king with the most scars on his arm wins because he had the most covenant allies people who would come running to help him fight his battles. In that moment, I knew I wanted to make covenant with Trevor and fight side by side through life's many battles. Thankfully, Trevor felt the same way. We were one in the spirit. This was also mutual for David and Jonathan. They saw the same thing in each other. Why? Remember a few chapters back what happened at Mikmash? Everybody say Mikmash. Everybody say, that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> I don't think it's right, but we'll go with it. Um, 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 7 says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave. Sounds like a nice place to stay. Pomegranates all around. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, in Shiloh wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag. I love that, rocky crag. On the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes. The name of the other was Senna. The one crag rose on the north in the front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Gibba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan had a bold action plan. He did not let his fears tell him what to do. He wasn't about to wait for something to happen he was living offensively. Yeah. 
He courageously climbed the cliffs of Michmash, Michmash and picked a fight with the Philistine army. He didn't follow Sun Tzu's art of war here. This was not the greatest military strategy of all time. Jonathan exposed himself to the enemy in broad daylight. He gave up the high ground. And then the craziest thing was this idea that he came up with, the sign. This is the sign. This is the sign to know that God is with us. He says in 1 Samuel 14, 10, if the Philistines say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Usually our signs or our fleeces before the Lord are an opportunity for God to show us a little power up front. We ask for a down payment on God's power so we can confidently proceed knowing that there is definitely more power coming. Jonathan doesn't ask God to do anything. He knows that his courageous action plan will compel the Lord to join in. That's faith, right? Attempting something so big that unless God intervenes, it is bound to fail. We would probably be asking for the sign to be something like lightning striking the first 10 guys. <laughs> then I'll go. Then I'll climb. Come on, God, you can give us that much. A little head start before I have to actually do something. <laughs> so then Jonathan and his armor bearer begin to climb the cliff. Any mountain climbers here? No? Maybe we need to, to start a school for mountain climbing. Good uh, business plan. Um, climbing a cliff is hard work. Not only did they have to survive the climb, that crag that the Bible speaks of, without ropes, mind you, they had to win a fight against a bunch, a bunch of ruthless warriors. And I don't think these guys were just waiting for them at the top to catch their breath, right? They were at war. Jonathan was seriously outnumbered by the enemy with no one but an armor bearer to back him up. This was do or die. Once they were up there, there was no way to back out. This was, humanly speaking, a terrible plan. <laughs> but something Jonathan says gives us a clue into his faith and courage. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Jonathan had guts because it was his conviction that God would act on his behalf if he stepped out in faith. Verse 13 says, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed the, and his armor bearer killed them after him. Fear says, perhaps the Lord won't act on our behalf. And many of us have adopted this fearful way of thinking. But the one courageous act of Jonathan that day, it shifted the course of the battle. And in verse 23, it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. The will of God will lead you on a daring adventure. It doesn't come with Alliance travel insurance. You know that travel insurance that you have to click before you book your flight and they tell you one more time, you know, do you really want to spend $4,000 on your tickets without spending this $60 for the insurance plan? Is that really a wise investment? 
But guys, we were never promised safety. As one author put it, Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. When's the last time you read Hebrews 11? Not every faith story ends with the type of success we were hoping for. Some folks were sawn in two. Others stoned to death. Still others chained in dungeons. But our wild adventure doesn't end when we die. He has put eternity in our hearts. And it's this eternal perspective that gives us courage to live dangerously for the cause of the kingdom. Most certainly the will of God will include at times daring decisions that seem unsafe, unwise, and completely crazy. But like Jonathan, if you have the courage to climb your mikmash, the Holy Spirit, the wild goose, will meet you at the top. David had heard these heroic tales and knew of Jonathan's renown. David already wanted to be like Jonathan. I love hearing the stories about the heroes of old who did mighty feats. I believe we need to reinstate a hero culture in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the celebrity culture that has already crept into the church. I'm not talking about putting people on pedestals and worshiping their image. I'm talking about building a culture where faith stories are told to inspire courage in the next generation of radical disciples. Because all virtues are best learned in the context of community. We learn courage by seeing others live courageously. Follow Paul as he follows Christ, willing to follow him out to sea, onto that boat that gets shipwrecked, into that prison cell where his chains became instruments of praise, and all the other places the Lord had called him to go. The stories about David's mighty men were recorded so that other men might have courage. I love those stories. Remember Josheb? Josheb, he wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Now, when you're telling stories around the campfire, that's a story you're going to tell. Josheb, he was fearless. He was courageous. He took them down at one time, 800 men. Remember Eliezer, he was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. The rest of the army left. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung on to the sword. Do you understand? They could not remove the sword from his hand. He had fought so valiantly that day. And the Lord, it says, brought about a great victory. Remember Shammah. He took his, hand, he took his stand in the midst of a lentil field after all the other Israelites had fled and he defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory that day. How about Joab? He was chief of the 30 mighty men and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. Now, Maya, you're talking a lot about death, talking a lot about people dying, warfare, battle. Remember, that it's a spiritual battle that we're in. 
It's not carnal, but it's mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, spiritual strongholds. And the list goes on and on and on. Our Bible stories are full of brave men and women. Guys, I think we've forgotten what faith means sometimes. I think we've forgotten sometimes that, that, that faith, faith is about bravery. It's about risking it all. Certainly, that was the example that Jesus gave us. Do you remember the story when he sent out the 72? Jesus sent out the 72 and he said, don't take anything with you. Don't take any clothes. Don't take any extra this or that. Don't take any money. Don't take extra sandals. Don't take any food for the journey. Just go. Just go. And the first home that you meet, the first house, give them the greeting. And that greeting was a special greeting. It meant, can I stay here? <laughs> peace be with you. Peace be unto you. They would say that. And if the, if the response was, and peace be unto you, they knew that they had a place to stay that night. And so he said, when they tell you, peace be unto you, go into their house, stay there for the remainder of your time in that city. And what do you do when you're there? Find the sick people in the house and heal them. There's always sick people in a house. Go into their house, touch them, and say, the kingdom of heaven has been brought near to you this day. Come on, this was brave. It's the same call he speaks to you and I. It's the same commission he gives to each and every one of us. I remember, uh, I love the stories of the Moravians and a group of people called the one-way missionaries. They were called one-way missionaries because they would pack their bags inside of coffins and then take their coffins with them, expecting that they would never return to their home soil that they would give their life preaching the gospel in a foreign land. Guys, these aren't just stories for us to read about. This is the life he's called us to live. He's called you, Victory Faith, to live this life. Victory Faith, your name is strong. It's, an, it's a declaration into the atmosphere. This house will have a faith that is victorious an overcoming faith, a faith that wins. This will be an end times church that has an overcoming spirit. It will not bow to fear and intimidation, but will rise above with perfect love and faith, a faith that pleases God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Remember who you are, Victory Faith. Be true to who God has made you to be. You are cutting edge. You're not cutting edge because of the sound equipment, the amazing leaders of worship, the, the projection, the lights, not the fancy stuff. You're cutting edge because you're willing to take the risk and be out front. You're willing to lay down your life for the cause of the kingdom for Jesus and his gospel. You are an outpost of heaven in new territories, an apostolic hub sent to establish new colonies of heaven, bringing the good news to the farthest reaches of the earth. Guys, it's time to re-enlist. We've been on the sidelines too long. He wants to put us in the front lines of battle. It's time again to say yes, not just with our words, but yes, with our lifestyle.
right? Some of you, you may have been uh, like David during the springtime when all the kings were supposed to go to war. He got too comfortable and he stayed in his palace. Maybe like Gideon, you've been in hiding, but God's is the, the God of Gideon is also your God. And he's calling you mighty man, mighty woman of valor. It's time to get back onto the battlefield with newfound faith and courage. It's time to take new risks for the kingdom cause because you know the battle belongs to the Lord. Is that your battle cry? The battle belongs to the Lord. This morning during worship, I just heard, just like they said, uh, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon, I heard in my spirit, a sword for the Lord and a sword for victory faith. You are called victory faith to lead the charge into battle. Would you stand with me this morning? I know the music behind me is soft, that's okay, but what I want to be happening on the inside is a roaring lion. A, a roaring lion. God has called you for such a time as this. Would you stretch out your hands to the Lord? I want to commission us this morning. I want to recommission us this morning with Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 in the Message Bible. This is powerful. It says, God is strong, and he wants you, Victory Faith, to be strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is indispensable. It is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in the ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We say yes to you, Lord, this morning. We say yes. Lord, with everything that's within us, we say yes. God, we want to be a people that risk it all, that put it all on the line, Lord, for you. Lord, teach us again what it means to have faith, what it means to believe, Lord. And we want to be fearless. We want to be fearless. We want to have a whole lot less fear. Lord, fearless, bold as lions. God, I just ask, Lord, that, uh, that this spirit would come upon this company of friends this morning, this courageous spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. Hey, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to the Lord, this may be the first time and he's calling you. You say, hey, I want to be a part of that company of friends. I want to be a part of that warrior team.
that goes out. I don't want to be a part of a, a group of weaklings. I want to be a part of the strong and the mighty. God is calling you. He may be calling you for the first time. There may be a seed that's been planted in your life that he's watering this morning. If something you've heard this morning, if there's something this morning that you've heard that, that resonates in your being, I want to be a part of that team. The Bible makes it very clear. It's easy to do. If we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is into the atmosphere that Jesus, you're the master and I submit to you. You are Lord of my life. Everything about me comes under your lordship. And that's what we want to say. On the count of three, I just want to invite the whole group here this morning to say Jesus is Lord. And if you're here for the first time, join in with us. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Oh, that was weak. Do it again. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. And again, Jesus is Lord. Come on. And he says, if you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins, right? Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if we believe in him, that he's taken our sins away from us so that we could have an eternal relationship with the Father. That's for you this morning. That's for you this morning. And there'll be some people that you can gather with if you've done that for the first time this morning. Guys, thank you so much uh, for receiving me. And um, I, just, I just ask for all that God has for each and every one of you. Thank you.